Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Well, okay. How did you publish nine papers? Like, how did you, what strategy did you use to, especially when it, when writing and also when mm -hmm. uh, submitting? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> so at the very beginning of my, of my PhD, I didn't have any strategy. Right? Okay. So yeah. I just, so I didn't have much support in terms of writing because, mm -hmm. uh, I was just uh, so the first paper I wrote was based on my master thesis. Yeah, and it was my supervisor who asked me, "Can you please convert that into a paper?" paper. And when I asked him, "How do I do it?" Hmm. he said, "I need to figure it out." Wow! <laughs> <laughs> um, uh -huh. That was uh, yeah, that was strange. Yeah, uh, but basically what I did was uh, now that I look at this from from a perspective, I no. started putting together uh, an outline. So mm. basically, I wrote down all the things that I need to include in the paper. Mm. I looked at the outlines from the from the journals. They do have quite a lot of information there. So mm. whoever is listening, do check that because that's that's gold information from journal. They tell you what they want actually in the paper. Yeah. Um, so I tried to map out my master thesis against mm. the paper requirements, cut the majority of my thesis. Put mm. say con converted. I think my thesis was fifteen thousand words. So I cut this to about five thousand words or six thousand words. Mm. Um, and of course, the paper was rejected because it wasn't uh, the best paper. Okay, <laughs> uh, that was rejected the first time. How did that uh, feel? But then, oh, it was. Uh, oh, you know how rejection feels at the first time, right? It's it was horrible, frustrating because we spent so much time on doing things. Mm. Um, but I think at that time I made a decision that I will not get bothered by this. Mm. I, I took the feedback, I improved the paper and resubmitted. Mm. And uh, at that time it got through the editors, it went through the peer review. Uh, and then I got another comments, another comments. And then after three rounds of peer review, it was accepted. So that was my very first paper in a good journal. Mm, okay. um, so it, it, is, it is a mindset shift mm, that, mm. that people need to go through when when they want to publish because it's not always about our work it's about how we present the work to the others and how we mm. consider what other people actually want to see in the paper mm. and so that is pretty important okay um, uh, yeah so since then i guess mm. i just i noted that doing the outline helped mm. me uh, to actually organize my my thoughts and my ideas uh, i started doing uh, had a template template that i've uh, developed during my phd mm. where before i even started writing on my on my paper mm. uh, before i started writing i kind of had a number of questions that i asked myself mm. uh, so that i frame 
what it is that I do, what it is that I have to write. Mm. So I asked myself about what is the key novelty of that work? Mm -hmm. What is the hypothesis? What is the key data that I need to present in the mm. paper to mm. justify or reject my hypothesis? Mm. Um, and I think it was later in my career that I actually started asking myself what it is that reviewers want to see, what mm. it is that editors want to see, mm. and then what it is that actually people who read my work want to see in my, 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 my paper. Mm. Uh, so it's a process that I, I guess I'm still improving, right? Each mm. paper that I write, it becomes better and better. Do you look at your previous, like your first paper and cringe? Yes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. I was like, yeah, what, what was that? <laughs> Why did I include that at all? It's so not necessary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, if you work in your research area and mm. uh, the more papers you publish, the, the easier it gets to publish because publish. you can see what that did, right? Mm. Um, but at the same time, it becomes more difficult to publish because um, how, how, do you, how do you say this? Yeah, you you self plagiarizing yourself, and then mm. you have to think about how do you write this in a different words, mm. especially if you use the same methods. Yeah. Right? If you familiarize with the methods, if you use one method for multiple papers, how do you do it? And, yeah. Uh, actually, I I, I just uh, I just submitted a paper couple of months ago to, to for a review that uses one of the methods that I developed during my PhD. Mm. Um, and it came up as 25% self-plagiarism oh. or something like this. <laughs> I was like, come on, it's the same same method. I explained that it was published somewhere else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the editor just asked to, I guess, paraphrase and reduce similarity, right? Okay. Uh, so it, it, it just takes time to paraphrase, paraphrase that. Mm. Uh, but yeah. There are a couple of strategies we can use to actually reduce self-plagiarism in this this kind of methodology section. I know many people are frustrated about this. Mm. But, yeah. So paraphrasing is one of the key things to do. Um, paraphrasing is one of the key things. But mm. what I do now is whenever I develop a new method, I mm. provide as many details as possible in the first paper I publish. Mm -hmm. And then in the consecutive papers, I briefly describe the, describe the method and then refer to the to original people, paper yes. where it was presented, mm. um, just saying that the, ori the original methodology was presented in detail mm. in my paper. Mm. Um, so it, then again, it depends on how reviewers will see it. Mm. All reviewers are different, so they might ask you to provide more data mm. uh, on, on your methods. But it's ultimately all about being reasonable and sensitive. It, I, I guess it's all about being reasonable uh, from... Uh, from the reviewer's point of view and the author's point of view. Right? Mm. Um, I kind of feel like we would need to think about how we best communicate science and whether actually papers are the best way to way communicate, to communicate science. science. Don't you yeah. think... I, I was actually thinking about this today morning. Yes. Yeah. Don't you think uh, we should... Because um, apart from that, that was the main way of communication that people were using and you're still using it right now and using the same mm -hmm. way of doing it uh what what do you think about a podcast recording or a, a video um mm -hmm. report of what someone did right uh well i agree with you that say doing journal papers uh, and i say that as an editor as well uh, with <laughs> with some of the major publishers mm. um so 
journals is the outdated way of doing mm. uh, paper, communicating science. Yeah. Uh, mostly because, well, in the, in the it's, it's years ago, that was the only way to, to distribute science uh, mm. in the simple yeah. form. Yes. Now with uh, social media, with uh, any digital media, videos, mm. podcasts, mm. we've got so many opportunities to actually communicate science mm. uh, with wider audiences, right? Because papers... Yeah. They tend to just uh, just just be read by other academics within your field. So if your yes. field is small, mm. your, your paper will be read by fifty people if if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, so um, basically, I, I guess social media is something that we have to leverage. Digital media is something that we have to leverage, and mm. I guess LinkedIn is the pe- perfect place. That's how we met as well. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, LinkedIn is perfect place mostly because of many decision makers out there. Many mm. people who actually will be interested in your research are there. Mm. Um, so what I tend to do is I tend to share my papers on LinkedIn, either mm-hmm. preprints or the open access papers mm. so that people can actually know about it. Mm. But also we need to learn about how we chunk up our our science, complex science, into more digestible formats. Yes. And as you said, short mm. videos, mm. podcast explanations, mm. Uh, maybe even presentations uh, yeah. that are presented either virtually or, you know, uh, as live sessions. Mm. Uh, sorry, someone someone is actually doing some reno- okay. renovation in the building today. So, yeah, um, okay. yeah so, so this sort of um, communication is important mm. uh, for two reasons, actually. One reason is, of course, uh, when we do science, when mm. we do the new inventions, mm. We do it to advance the knowledge of the of our community and our society. Yeah. So this basically means you have to communicate that with other people so that they can benefit, so yeah. that they can uh, take advantage of that innovation mm. and implement that. Hopefully, if you're not doing to impl- if you're not going to implement your research, then mm. someone else can benefit from that. Of course, and mm. we have to spread that as widely as possible. Mm. So that's one thing. Another benefit of actually using social media is building the expert profile, right? Mm -hmm. So that means as academics, uh, we can use social media to actually build our expert profiles, Mm. uh, which basically means we can position ourselves as an expert in our research area with Mm. a specific skill set. So what I do, for example, is I do share some of the case studies from uh, my research and my consultancy work Mm. uh, so that other people can actually see what sort of work I can do Mm. and my team can do. Mm. Uh, so that leads to more le- research collaborations, of course. So we do collaborate with other academics to build uh, proposals uh, for more or more research work. Mm. But also it, it shows uh, other people, say, in the industry or in, in business, mm. what sort of work I can help them with. Right? Yeah, so that, yeah. that gives an, an, an indication of what skills or techniques or mm. analysis I can bring to their business yes. uh, and help them solve their problems. Mm. At the same time, it inspires uh, early career researchers or students to actually pursue careers in science or in my research area. Mm. Uh, so many benefits of using social media and communicating your research. Uh, and we just don't do it enough. What are the challenges you faced when using social media? Um, challenges, okay. Um, as, 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 as you know, I'm an engineer by background. Yeah. So... When I kind of got into engineering, I was all about numbers. Mm. So numbers were my friends. 
I didn't communicate that much during conferences and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just wrote a couple of papers. Mm. And uh, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, when I was... Uh, so, so, so Magda, my, my wife, she kind of uh, encouraged me to do live sessions or like webinars mm. and, uh, or stories, you know, this sort of stuff. Mm. And I told her I will never do it because I'm not confident enough. Mm. Uh, fast forward two years, more or less, I'm doing regular webinars <laughs> and regular <laughs> podcasts or something like this. Mm. Uh, m- 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 mostly because when, so that was the challenging bit. At the very beginning, mm. if you are about to record yourself, mm. it is challenging because you haven't done that. You yeah. don't have much practice or experience. Mm. And it just feels weird at the very mm. beginning. Mm. Um so especially if you're an introvert, mm. it might be difficult. Yeah. But what I realized is that when the more you do it, the easier it gets. That's yeah. one thing. Yeah. But also after some time, you start enjoying this mm-hmm. because you see that it actually helps. It actually see the adds impact. value. To yeah. People. You see the impact. It mm. adds value. Mm. And then you want to do more and more and more. Mm. Right. Yeah. So it's actually now I do enjoy doing this more. Uh, than any other thing. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, now you you're done with your PhD at this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. What what happens after that? Um, reality happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so of course, PhD is nice. Mm. In many cases, because you can focus on your project, mm. you can do your research work. If you have to teach, you can teach because mm-hmm. different PhDs, different countries do PhDs in a different way. Yeah. So, but you can basically focus on what you sign up for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can do your project and then teaching and stuff. Mm. When you enter academia, mm-hmm. uh, that's where it's a little bit more um, uncertain, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, um, how do I say this? So when you when you do a PhD, you focus on your project, but you're not necessarily being taught how to be academic, mm-hmm. which basically means when I kind of entered a P after after my PhD, I got to the postdoc position, mm-hmm. uh, where of course I could focus on my project, but there was an expectation that I would start becoming more and more independent, and I would bring in uh, some projects contribute towards uh, marketing courses, uh, mm. managing courses, and so on and so on, so that I could get to the academic permanent position. Yeah. So many things that I kind of didn't know how to do mm. at, at when I kind of got my postdoc and then my lecture position, mm. uh, that was uh, how to basically win proposals, right? How to write proposal in the first place. Because mm. for my PhD, I, I just wrote one proposal. Mm. And that was it. Mm. It was very short uh, it was easy mm. but when you try to get external funding for your work uh, it is much more competitive yeah and that's something i didn't realize when i entered academia how competitive it is in mm. terms of uh, getting grants from for, for research mm. um, also when you don't have projects you don't always know where your next paper is coming mm. uh, so coming up with the ideas might be challenging mm-hmm. and I guess when you really into the permanent academic job, so that was, I did my postdoc a year after I got a permanent academic job in the open competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an academic, you tend to wear many house, uh, many, many hats. 
Mm. Uh, in terms of you, know, you teach, you manage courses. So this is what all I do. I, I, I did. So I, I did teach quite a lot uh, on the engineering courses, mm. uh, manage some of the teaching cr- groups as well. You're expected to do research on the projects that you want. Mm. Um, you're expected to be a thought leader in your area. So building up the leadership both internally within the university, but also externally with other companies or com- com- companies so that you can influence policymakers uh, so that you can uh, then uh, share your research in the most impactful way with yeah. people who can actually use it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's many hearts that we are not always prepared to actually carry as, mm. as uh, academics at mm. the very early stages of our, our, of our um, careers. But I guess when I was reflecting on this before we, before we, we, we talk today, mm. I just thought that, you know, for me, this, this, this sort of getting so many different roles kind of came from the lack of confidence to do my own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Although I did that during my PhD, I always seek external validation. So uh, whenever someone asks me to do it, I didn't want to offend them and just said, yeah, I'll do it. Mm. And then it kind of kept accumulating and accumulating. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was one thing. And another thing is we don't really want to seem competent because even though we haven't got a formal training, say in marketing or development or something like this, yeah. Uh, what I realized, many people suffer in silence. So they try to work out things themselves mm. rather than asking for help. Yeah. So that's the, that's the problem, right? Yeah. So that was the beginning. That was the beginning. It was, yeah, that was the reality. <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's, it's about being vulnerable, I think. Like yes. being confident enough, being in a space or in a headspace where you can say, I don't know. Can you help mm-hmm. me? You know? Yes. Like you have a PhD, because especially when you have a, you know, your doctor, David mm-hmm. Hanak, and <laughs> you know, you're saying you do not know because with this expectation, when you have that title, then you know everything, you know. Exactly. So you're in a space where you're like, you don't want to show people that you you don't know, and that doesn't really help you because it will still exactly. remain that you don't know. <laughs> but once you know, vulnerable enough to say. Uh, I I know I'm seeking to know this, for example, or do you know how I can help get help in this, or do you know how to do this? Exactly. Uh, what what's pretty important for people mm. uh, at that point, at the very early stage, is to try to get a mentor mm. as soon as possible mm. uh, within the university or externally, uh, so that. Ideally, that would be a senior academic or even a professor mm. uh, who actually guides them uh, in order for them to understand how they can use their strengths to the best of their ability to mm. advance their careers. Because yeah. we are not equal, you know, in terms of our ability. Some people prefer to teach. Some people mm. prefer to do research. Some mm. people prefer to do administration. Uh, we've got a preference. Uh, yeah. And I believe that universities should work with the with the strengths to, to kind of leverage these strengths mm. uh, and and uh, that would lead to more sustainable uh, operation i guess and more sustainable outputs uh, and when we when we tend to when we get a, a mentor someone i ha- i haven't got a mentor at that point 
Okay. So I was kind of struggling. But when I got my, I guess, when I got my lecture position, mm. then I asked for a mentor and I, I got a pretty good one. Mm. Uh, so he actually helped me to clarify my vision for mm. for the next two or three years. Mm. Um, it helped me to be more strategic about what I engage with or not. Mm. Uh, and as a result, I, I kind of, during that time, working with a mentor helped me to clarify my career vision and passion mm. and actually gave me confidence, right? Mm. And confidence in what you just said, that being vulnerable, mm. ask help, uh, helps with uh, with career development and mm. makes makes uh, makes the experience more enjoyable. Actually. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, mm. um, why should we do something we we don't enjoy it, right? Yeah. You so uh, I, if I got it right, you went straight into mm -hmm. lecturing after your PhD, or you got a postdoc. Uh, so I did. I did a one-year postdoc uh, in between my PhD and lecturing position. What, what so, was it about? In brief, like what? So, uh, what? What were you working on? So my postdoc were actually two projects. Uh, so I was fifty percent one project and fifty percent another project. Mm. So the first project was uh, looking at new materials for carbon capture. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was basically new type of material that the industrial partner developed. And mm -hmm. they wanted me to do analysis in terms of economics, whether it makes sense or not. Mm, efficient. So efficient in terms of cost-effective, whether mm. it, it is better than the existing uh, existing sorbent. Mm. The other project was a pretty interesting one because that was a nanomembrane toilet project mm -hmm. uh, funded by uh, Bill Gates Foundation. Mm-hmm. So the main idea there was uh, was to utilize a waste uh, from toilets uh, to recover some of the energy uh, mm. for for electricity production. So mm. I was in the energy team looking at how much energy we can recover, uh, how we can recover it, mm. and how how we can utilize whether that's heating or whether mm. that's electricity production mm. uh, and so on. So I was again doing calculations for. Uh, for that part of the system, it was pretty exciting because we got to meet. We so so that was project which wasn't only engineering; it was also sanitation. Mm -hmm, it was yeah. also uh, what water part of the projects and mm -hmm. how we integrate a couple of areas actually working together. Um, so I really enjoyed this. This was in Cranfield. Um, it was in Cranfield, yeah. Okay. It was in Cranfield as well, and uh, okay. so that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. My, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, continue. Postdoc was supposed to run for two years, mm. but about nine months in, mm. the, the opportunity opened actually at Cranfield uh, mm. as, uh, for, for the lecture position, mm. and I just gave, gave, it, gave it a shot. Mm. Uh, basically applied for the ex uh, as the external candidate as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, got it. So that was quite exciting, actually. <laughs> So you weren't sure that you would get that position? Yeah, it wasn't 100%, you know, mm. because even though I was already with Cranfield, mm. uh, it wasn't a kind of a promotion case. It was externally advertised position. So mm. I had to compete with people from other uh, universities yeah. who were applying for that. Mm. Uh, so I was yeah strong enough to actually get it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so... 
this is the lecture position that you've been up to up to now or um so since then i got promoted to senior lecturer mm -hmm. uh, so i was i was three years in the lecture position mm. uh, and then after that so during that lecture position i uh, kind of I kind of developed the course that I was. I'm, I'm currently leading the advanced process engineering, so mm. I become a course director. Mm. I did teach quite extensively at Cranfield and at Mascot at that time. Mm. Um, supervised some PhD students, you know, all of this stuff. Mm. Uh, but I guess what helped me get to the senior level mm. was um, number of papers that I published. How many? Uh, so I at that time. So when, when I got my lecture position, I got about 11 papers published at that time, or 12. Yeah. So that was pretty okay. Um, after three years, I published, I had about 30-something, so I published about 20 papers over two periods oh of time. Oh, my God. Two, two years. You're crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it wasn't just me. It was a teamwork, right? So you do have to recognize this, that it's not always me as a first author. Ah, um, so okay. it's all about teamwork as well mm. and that also counts because uh, at the end of the day teams deliver work right yeah. it's not the single person mm. so that's important to recognize um, so yeah I, I think papers helped but what also helped was uh, getting projects getting mm. industrial projects and research projects from from research council mm. uh, so that helps a lot uh, i guess Whenever you are lecture level, early career researcher, mm. what, is, what is important is to look at what is the career pathway at your specific university. Each mm. university should have more or less, I don't want to say promotional guidelines, mm. but they might have like, what are the expectations from academics at different career levels? Mm. And as a lecturer, I actually was told that I have to perform at the senior lecturer level to get senior lecturer. Mm. And then you have to perform at the professor level to get to professor, right? You know, you always have to think one step ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good tip there. That's if if you want a certain position, you act like that position. You exactly. You just do level at the level higher. Yeah. Always aim high. <laughs> <laughs> so what is what is next? Um, oh, sorry. So you, you're saying sorry. Yeah. You're saying something else about what made you get promoted apart from the papers. What else? So you see, yeah. So it's basically papers, uh, proposals, PhD students, mm. uh, supervision, and a number of criteria basically. But overall, uh, I guess it's the vision for your independent research mm. that helps mm. having the clarity of what you want to achieve. Mm. Uh, with your research, how you help people, that mm. is what, what really matters at the end of the day. Because so, that's, mm. if you've got that vision, then you've got papers, then you've got pro proposals, papers, and so on. So was it a, an advertised position? No. So senior lecturer was, uh, was a promotion case. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to put a, a promotion case together and submit that to for, for oh, evaluation. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so, and and this senior lecturer position, you've had it for? So I've been in that position for two years now. Oh, two okay. years, three years, mm -hmm. something like this. I guess three years. And how many people so far? 
how many papers so far? Yeah, um, additional papers. So, uh, so since then, so mm -hmm. I had 33 as a lecturer. So again, 20 papers plus. So last week we got another paper accepted, which made my 50, 50 uh, it's 56 right now as a total number of papers accepted wow. uh, and about 10 papers in the pipeline. <laughs> wow. So you always have a pipeline of papers. Uh, I always try to keep five to 10 papers in the pipeline at each point of time. Um, yeah. Again, my papers plus my PhD student papers mm. plus my postdoc papers, you know. Mm. So it's always a team effort mm. uh, rather than an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, so what's and the next what thing? I always mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What what's what next? is advice? I always advise people to keep uh to keep a kind of a journal journal, right? So you keep the idea journal uh where you where you uh, write down any ideas you've got for a paper. Mm. And then when you kind of stuck with what do I do next, you can always go back to it and uh, actually get inspired with what you came up with some time ago. Like a journal you write it down somewhere? Yeah, so I've got, I actually have a Excel file where I write down my, um, my ideas with explanation what is novel about it, mm. what it is that I need to do to demonstrate mm. that novel. Oh, the template. Uh, how do I go about it? It's a, like a template, yeah. yeah. I've got a list of 10 or 20 papers that I can do in the future. Uh, ah. And I can use that with my students. Ah. I can I can use that as a master thesis, for example, mm. and then we can publish that work and so on. So it helps because you know, as an academic, you'll be mm. writing lots of papers and you'll be reading lots of papers. Yeah. So you never know when the idea will come to your mind. So it's good to have a place where you can write it down uh, so that you don't lose that idea. Yes. Oh, I I love that. That's a good tip. It's a very good tip. Yeah. For someone who wants thank to thank you, <laughs> <laughs> always do it since the beginning of my PhD. Actually, mm. I, I think about it. But, Where did yeah. you get this from? I just I don't know. Just came up with, with, with. I need to write it down, and I just started writing it down. Okay, okay, yeah. So you're talking about the future plans after now. What are you aiming at? Um, what are you acting at? Because you said, plans. Like, yeah. What are you acting like? Future because plans. you said that you the, wanted to, you have to act like yeah. something you want to, to be. Yeah. Mm. So acting as a professional, right? Okay. Um, hopefully that's the next step uh, for, for my career as, as an academic. So mm. that's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would mean working on a large grants. So mm. currently working on a number of large grant applications mm. um, with my colleagues uh, at other universities because... If you want really large grant that gets an impact, mm. you do have to have collaboration in there. Yeah. Uh, we recently got a large grant, European large grant, with 26 other partners mm -hmm. where I'll be taking a leading role in the management committee. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that re really can help me to build a profit uh, later on. Mm. But also on the motivated academic side, of course, mm -hmm. uh, that's where I really want to ramp up things. So... Mm -hmm. uh, so that we help other researchers actually write papers, write proposals, build academic profiles. Mm. Um, we've put, mm. we, we're putting together a plan um, mm. on what kind of webinars will we do, how often, mm. uh, how mm. we will deliver that. Because we want that clarity uh, so that mm. we can communicate that better with, with uh, PhDs mm. and postdocs right now. 
mm-hmm. and we talking to our community. So we've got a Facebook group and WhatsApp group, mm-hmm. and we actually mm-hmm. talking to our community uh, about the subjects they want us to help with, uh, whether that's mm-hmm. actually papers, proposals, you know, communication. Uh, so mm-hmm. working on that, and hopefully that will launch after the summer. So I guess mm-hmm. August, September time, because we really want to take time to plan it out and make sure that it is visible. Mm. 